The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Our world is always so rush, rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Hi everyone and welcome to a new My Radio Show. Today's guest is Brian Mangini. And our title of our show, I really love that, is A Father's Journey. Brian, welcome on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really glad to kind of bring for a change. You know, we have all kinds of subjects, but some are really sad. And I think your story is kind of uplifting because one of the things that struck me in our email communications is that you said that a parent needs to sometimes up their values and really be there for a child. And that really intrigued me from the moment I read it. So tell us a little bit about your journey as a father with Dominic, your son. Okay, well, um, he was, uh, he just turned three when we got him diagnosed with a sensory processing disorder which is a neurological disorder that affects 1 in 20 kids. Uh, however, most people probably have ne- heard nothing about it. Uh, it's, it's relatively little known, yet it um, you know, has uh, staggering numbers in terms of you know, uh, how many people it affects. You know, it's essentially one child in every classroom is, a- is affected by sensory processing disorder. Uh, now, this diagnosis came after about a good year or two worth of struggles uh, at home. You know, we started seeing... You know, various behavioral changes, you know, delays in, in his development. Um, you know, he wasn't very, he didn't speak a whole lot. He would take uh, excerpts from certain TV shows uh, and insert them to his particular feelings. And he was, you know, essentially spot on. I think at that one, at the time, one of the big shows he was watching was uh, Ubi, where they had the uh, little eyes kind of wrapped around their finger. And he mm-hmm. would just say, Ubi this or Ubi that. And again, I mean, he was spot on with it. Uh, so, you know, um, so, you know, we were kind of battling back and forth with, with his pediatrician, and they're saying, oh, you know, it's just terrible twos, blah, blah, blah. So what we went up doing was we started approaching this from uh, a disciplinary standpoint. You know, we set up a, you know, some ground rules. Uh, no hitting, no kicking, no biting, no doing this, you know, et cetera. And any infractions of, of these rules um, would... Uh, caused him to be in timeout, and basically did like one minute for every year. Uh, but the the timeouts would be so emotionally charged and explosive uh, that you know he was never really violent, you know, towards us or anything of that nature. But he was clearly frustrated, like he was trying to tell us something that we just weren't understanding. So I would actually have to go over and bear hug him, 
and hold him there until he would calm down. And by the time he calmed down, he and I were both, you know, sitting there in tears. Mm-hmm. And this would happen, you know, three to five times a day. Uh, and obviously this is, was exhausting. So, you know, at the end of the day, uh, his mother and I would just kind of stare at each other like, well, what can we do here? Like, how much more can we take? Like, there's clearly something wrong because it was evident that he was trying to say something, but we just didn't know what. And uh, we weren't really getting anywhere with this pediatrician. So we happened upon an article on SPD, and I looked into it a little further and saw, you know, some more of the symptoms. I'm like, well, there you go. This is him. So we went back with this information. We went back uh, as educated parents now to his pediatrician and said, hey, we think this is him. We want to get him tested. So he wound up sending us to a, a neurodevelopmental pediatrician down the main line, and, you know, he, the pediatrician eventually said, you know, yes, he does have SPD. Uh, he also has hypotonia, and his sensory issues were also uh, causing him delays in, in his uh, language. So the the next step was then to get him first get him into preschool so we'd have the structure and discipline, and then essentially we bombarded his system with uh, therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people might... My question, like, you know, occupational therapy for a kid, but, well, yeah, you know, because we have to teach him how to be a kid. That's his occupation. Um, and at the onset, we we were probably up to about 10 sessions a week to the point where it was actually difficult for us to schedule other appointments, whether it's cable or, you know, doctor's plans. It was uh, stressful. But, you know, once once he got into the school system, he got wraparound services, which basically uh, included a uh, what they call a TSS, which is essentially an aide in the classroom, which would kind of work with him one-on-one and would be able to kind of pick up cues when he would need a sensory break, when, you know, when his surroundings would be, you know, too much for him and he'd have to go take a walk down the hallway. You know, things that, uh, you know, a teacher wouldn't, you know, ordinarily be able to pick up on because, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a specialty. But how, um, how did you get the wraparound services? Sorry to ask that, but I'm curious. Because well, he did yeah. go to a normal, regular school, right? Yeah, he's always been mainstream school. Um, okay. Yeah, we went in, we had him tested, uh, he had him evaluated. Um, mm-hmm. When he was in, in preschool, he was getting services through uh, the intermediate unit. And then to transfer out of that, because uh, the intermediate unit at the time, you know, didn't really get into the school systems. So we met with the school district and we had an IEP meeting. And then that's when we were able to bring in, you know, a different agency, you know, for services. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. But I mean, oh, at, that's at, not clear. When we were first on this journey, um, he was very symptomatic for sensory issues. Uh, we used to have to cut his hair in the bathtub to kind of help, you know, ease some of the tension a little bit. You know, um, very tactile. Uh, he wouldn't. It took us about four years before he would actually be able to wear a collared shirt. He still doesn't like wearing blue jeans. Uh, and and why? Can you explain that to the listener? G- give us an example with the blue jeans, for example. What what happens see, to his sensory system that he doesn't it, like it? It just it, uh, the texture just scratches against his skin, kind of a uh, uh, you know like a, a chafing feeling. Uh, he didn't like. We used to have to get like long sleeve shirts that didn't have cuffs because the elastic cuffs were too constricting. Okay. Uh, like haircuts, when the the hair would fall down after his haircut, it felt like little pins and needles were sticking into his skin. 
Okay. Um, we actually used to have to do uh, what we called work time with him, you know, every morning before school. So basically kind of stretching out his muscles and kind of uh, helping him find center. But if we didn't do that, then he would kind of feel like his muscles were just kind of ripping out of his... Uh, ripping out of his, his skin. And then also, again, kind of going back to the center point, um, by doing all this, you know, mm-hmm. a child who is affected by SPD, every child can experience it differently. Some are over, you know, overstimulated and some are under. Uh, so a lot of times it can present itself where uh, a neurotypical person, if they get bombarded with different things, they're able to kind of find their center and process everything you know, receive it and process it and organize it all. Whereas the child with sensory deficiencies may not. So they may be receiving all these sensory, all this stimuli all at once and don't know what to do with it. And a lot of times uh, the reaction can present itself as uh, a perceived behavioral issue. Yeah. And they're, they're not behavior problems. They just, they're not wired to be able to handle all that at once. So they may lash out. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it sounds almost like a sort of overwhelming... Um, exactly. As if, as if everything hurts at the same time. Am I saying that correctly? Yes, exactly. And and mm-hmm. you know, and that also kind of uh, kicks in with with some of uh, you know coping skills deficiencies. It's it's not that you know you may see a kid you know who seems to be having like a, a tantrum at at a grocery store, but they're not. They're they just have coping skills deficiencies where you know they just don't know how to deal with something something, and it could be something very small, something trivial to a neurotypical person, but to them, it's like their world's crashing down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, used to, uh, crowds, all the commotion used to be overwhelming for them. Assemblies in school, they used to have to take them out uh, because the, the noise was too much. You know, they, a lot of times, kids with uh, sensory processing disorder, they have very acute hearing like dogs. Like, mm-hmm. we might not be able to pick up on something, but they'll hear and it's like killing them. So, even like noise reducing earphones were not enough for him, you know, for assemblies. Okay. Um, transition issues were huge for him, whether it's, you know, going from one place to another place, uh, doing something that would kind of throw him off schedule, uh, and even transitional things, you know, uh, in terms of seasonal change for different clothing. Um, if, uh, going back to like, um, school stuff, if he would have a three day weekend, you know, in terms of like scheduling, uh, uh, changes in the schedule. If he would have like a three-day weekend, that would completely throw him off. We'd spend half a week trying to get him back on track just because of that one extra day off he had. So we used to have a written schedule that outlined pretty much everything he had to do by the hour, if not a little bit more, just so he could anticipate what was coming up next so it didn't throw him off. Yeah. Wow, that's Um, amazing. And what's even more amazing is... You, as a parent, actually had to find the diagnosis. That's right. what I'm hearing. Yeah, and, and, you know, even after the diagnosis, you know, uh, when you get this diagnosis, at least, you know, at the time we did, which was, you know, 2005, so you're talking eight years ago, there's no welcome packet. You know, they don't say, hey, welcome to the SPD community. Here's what you have to do next. So it, it's a lot of uh, finding things, you know, trial by fire. You know, we were very fortunate that we had a lot of, good people, knowledgeable people, and champions in our corner who helped direct us. Um, but, you know, we weren't aware of any kind of forums, you know, that we could talk to other families who were kind of dealing with this, which is one of the things I wanted to change once we got this diagnosis. I want to 
help kind of create that that network. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I you know, that. we would but bump into people, you know, through our, our course of travels. Uh, I remember there was a time we were down in Florida at Disney. We were coming back, and we just, we used to actually have to brush down my skin three times a day, so he could feel, so he could know where he stopped and the rest of the world began. So we're in this airport down in Orlando, brushing his skin, and then uh, a lady came over and says, excuse me, you know, does your son have SPD? So it was like kind of uh, weird occurrences like that that we would actually kind of, you know, come across other people who are, who have gone through the same thing. Wow. That's truly amazing. And But if you say, you know, that this is a... Um, disorder that happens one out of 20 children mm-hmm. and it's not more information about this actually known because I would I would think that all educators would want to know about a disorder like that because you said it looks like the child is having a temper tantrum right. but it's actually having SPD right? Correct. Well, they, there could be like you know an official diagnosis of SPD uh, sometimes, you know, there may not be an actual diagnosis, but a child may be still uh, somewhat symptomatic or still be experiencing sensory challenges. Uh, I think the, the current number for the actual diagnosis, the last number I, I saw was 1 in 20 kids were actually diagnosed with this. Uh, some of the other numbers I've seen are like 1 in every 6 kid experiences some kind of sensory challenges. Okay. Now, there is, there are a lot of, uh, parent-run organizations that are kind of out there doing what they can to do, you know, to spread awareness, stuff like that. There is also an organization in the Denver area called the SPD Foundation. They are, the SPD Foundation is essentially at the forefront of the research end of it. Uh, we unfortunately, as, as a as a community, don't have uh, one organization, kind of like Autism Speaks, who are out there kind of, you know, banging drums for the awareness end of it. Uh, mm-hmm which is, you know, something I feel we need. Uh, but, you know, the, the SPD Foundation at this point is out there doing research, and they've been fighting for years to get SPD included in the DSM. Because at this point, if your child has sensory processing disorder and they have no other diagnosis, they cannot get the services. Because the medical community and insurance agencies do not recognize SPD as a legitimate diagnosis. There's no code for it. Hold on, we are going quickly into a commercial break and we'll be right back, everyone. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? 
The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things. And together, you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. And for everyone who's just tuning in to Might Radio, our guest today is Brian Mengini. And it's a father's journey. His son, Dominic, is now today 11 and was diagnosed at the age of three with sensory processing disorder. Sounds big words, and thank goodness we can shorten it in SPD. But while I'm listening here to what you are telling us, Brian, it seems incredible, first of all, to... I mean, I have never heard of a sensory... Um, disorder, and I can imagine how disruptive it is for the child itself, but for you too in your life. And just before the break, you were telling us that if a doctor diagnoses your child with this disorder, that you do not necessarily are helped by your insurance companies. Can you explain this for the listener a little bit more? Because I'm sure they're very interested. Yeah, um, like I said, it, it's to get your child diagnosed with SPD, you either have to go to an occupational therapist who has uh, a background in, in sensory processing disorder, or you go to uh, a neurodevelopmental pediatrician, and they will give you the diagnosis of, of SPD. It does exist. However, the catch there is that in the actual DSM, which is, you know, the manual that all the doctors, physicians, pediatricians, et cetera, use, you know, to process the paperwork, to get all the billing and stuff taken care of, SPD does not exist in that DSM. The, DS, uh, the, Century, the SPD Foundation out in Colorado have been fighting for years, you know, for inclusion, and they keep, you know, uh, denying it. Uh, so at this why? point, I'm sorry. Do you do you know why they're denied the inclusion? Uh, I, I think I'm I'm a little far removed from from the research end of it, so okay. uh, I, I don't want to misquote, but it's my understanding that. Uh, something to the extent of not enough uh, life course and 
not enough history to be able to kind of chart the life course of it. Um, I also heard something to the effect of uh, they're not sure if it's truly this or could be symptoms of other diagnoses. Wow. Okay. Uh, wow. So, you know, if, if a child has this, oftentimes if a child has one diagnosis, they have more than one. Okay. And for but us, it was kind of a saving grace because one, one time we got into elementary school and we got the evaluation through his wraparound team, he got the PDD diagnosis, which actually put him on the autism spectrum. And that was essentially kind of a saving grace for us because we were actually able to treat symptoms under the uh, ASD diagnosis. So what does a parent have to do that's listening, that knows of a child that might have this disorder or their own child, to get wraparound services? What would you advise them? Well, first is, you know, they have to they have to go get an evaluation, whether it's, you know, through one of the professionals I just mentioned uh, mm-hmm. or through, through the school system. Um, okay. And then they kind of start playing out the course. Uh, they'll likely have either, as they meet with the, um, uh, the school district, they'll wind up likely either getting an IEP or a 504. We actually had an IEP, which is an individualized educational plan. That essentially, uh, it's a legal binding document or contract of sorts. And it essentially follows the child all the way through their educational career. And whatever is listed in that IEP, the school district is legally obligated to provide those, um, uh, those services or accommodations. Wow. Amazing. And then, you know, again, once, when some of these evaluations happen, you know, whether you're getting services, you know, through or outside of the school district, they'll kind of map out the course because, as I mentioned, you know, each child will experience this differently. Some kids are sensory seekers. Some kids are sensory avoiders. Uh, Dominic was very much a sensory avoider earlier on or predominantly more a sensory avoider. And as he's kind of gotten older, he's been a little bit more of a sensory seeker where he's, you know, constantly fidgeting with my elbows, you know, uh, seeking that stimulation. So, you know, the, the, uh, the course or the journey is going to differ from child to child. Uh, and the professional will, will kind of map out a course of, you know, therapy, et cetera, you know, based on each child's needs. Hmm. Wow. When I hear this, how did this affect your life, not only as a person, but as a father? Because we're really interested in that. Because you must have had to step it up here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, when we actually got the diagnosis, it was kind of a... It was bittersweet of sorts. Uh, you know, on one hand, you know, it, it was there was kind of a relief, you know, knowing that okay, well, we're not crazy, we're not just bad parents. There's something here, and there's something that we, something tangible that we can kind of attack and go after, and, and etc. Uh, okay. But then, you know, the other side is, you know, you don't really know um, how many of these symptoms or what have you he's going to be able to overcome. Uh, so, you know, there's, you know, both sides there. Um, you know, but I, I knew from day one that whatever it was going to be, I was, I was you know, duty-bound, you know, to kind of be there at the forefront. There was no no way, no part of me that just kind of wanted to, uh, you know, just kind of be by the side, just watching things unfold. I needed to be, you know, hands-on a part of, of the process the entire way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you were you know. at every decision, every appointment with doctors and... Basically, really hands-on. That's as, what as you're saying, correct? You know, I, I did have a uh, full-time job at the time, uh, so okay. my work situation was a little different. Uh, 
but, you know, if I wasn't there at appointments, I was checking in, you know, with his mother. I was helping make appointments. So to the extent that, you know, my work schedule allowed me, uh, I, I was hands-on. And when I came home from work, I was right there in the mix. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't just, you know, all right, I'm just a worker. I'm just, you know, I make the money. You go do the parenting. That, that was never me. That can't be me. And it really, it's one of the unfortunate things that I, I've come across, uh, you know, in my journey and talking with other parents is, uh, you know, how many, how many men, you know, are in denial uh, and how many just don't really, you know, whether they don't know how to parent or don't know how to parent their special needs child. But it's just, you know, having a child with special needs, it's all hands on deck. It's mm-hmm. everyone in the house and the extended family. It's not just one person. Everyone's got to be part of it because it, it, it's a team job. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, even if we don't have um, a, um, a special needs child, we often um, think that providing financially is is a task that takes a lot out of us. And we don't seem to have time enough to give that extra human kindness in, in the home and that extra effort that's still required. Right. I mean, right. you know that better than anyone because... In, in in the case of having a, a son with special needs, it's it's 24 hours. And that was really my next is. question. Because and, it, it know, must be a huge strain on you and your marriage. And uh, do you have other children? I do. Uh, Dominic has a younger sister who's nine. And that has, you know, that has certainly added a, a different level of complexity to things because you not only have to, you know, your entire world on a minute-to-minute basis revolves around a special needs child because uh, because there is so much to do. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, there's a lot of parents who may be listening with neurotypical kids like, well, the same for, you know, neurotypical kids. Agree, but it's a little bit more, you know, uh, it's a little bit more heightened, you know, with special needs kids because there's, there's more involved. It's not just, you know, football, this. You know, it's things to, you know, my son does not know how to ride a bike. He can barely tie his shoes. Uh, there are there's so much so many things that have to kind of be retaught or taught or retaught to him just basic life functions keeping okay. him out of danger stuff like that but then mm-hmm. you throw in a sibling into the mix and then you've got to find a way to make sure that sibling is feeling loved as well because you've got so much focus so much energy on a special needs kid a lot of times um, you know the the neurotypical kid kind of falls by the wayside and I know one of the one of the traps that I've found myself, you know, falling into many times over the years is uh, because his, his sister is neurotypical, I have found myself at various points expecting more of her than perhaps I should have. You know, okay. I, I kind of expect her to kind of be self-sufficient and not have needs because I have to, you know, spend so much energy with, with Dominic. And we also, uh, my girlfriend and I also have a, uh, a baby on the way. We're expecting a a son uh, actually on Dominic's birthday. Oh, wow. That is pretty amazing, actually. Um, Dominic is over the moon about this. But, but and, and how, uh, just a question here, how does your nine-year-old um, react to Dominic? Um, how do they react to each other? For, for all intents and purposes, they're each other's best friends. I was actually just talking with uh, my girlfriend just a few minutes before uh, we came on air here about about the relationship. But mm-hmm. you know, there definitely have been times where I kind of had to come down on her for certain things, and she's like, "Well, you don't do this for Dominic." And, and you know, there can be 
you know, uh, certain levels of resentment that she may harbor towards Dominic because of, you know, certain accommodations that, you know, we feel we may have to make for him because, because, you know, he's, he's a little different. He learns things differently. There's certain things that are, uh, you know, that are just different. Uh, so, you know, there's, there can always be that, you know, that thing about, you know, fairness and equality. Uh, and it's unfortunate. Sometimes I have to honestly catch myself, like, when she starts kind of going off about Dominic and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I have to catch myself, you know, before I start saying, well, be happy you don't have autism. <laughs> you know, you want to say all these things about him, you know, be happy that you don't have these challenges that he does. Uh, so I, I, you know, I have to reinforce that. You have that. to kind of remove yourself, you know, sometimes remove yourself, you know, from that kind of heat. Because sometimes, you know, I, I, I am very protective of Dominic. Um, sometimes even towards the sister, you know, it's like, so I've got to sometimes have to pull back and, you know, kind of uh, let some of those things kind of go down and, and uh, kind of reroute with, with, you know, softer diplomacy. Wow. Okay. Uh, Brian, we will be right back after this commercial break. Okay. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A. V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. 
So, Brian, we were just talking during the commercial break, which is always nice. It should be rolling so that they could hear us, what we were saying. Is, uh, actually, those are the most interesting parts. <laughs> is, um, we were talking about the sensory, and the reason I, um, I'm so interested in that is I often encounter that people are fearful of everything that's unknown. And uh, one of the things that I appreciate with you being on the show is that you're willing to share uh, your experience and Dominic's experience, even from his point of view. I'd like to hear what, what he thinks and feels so that when we meet a child like Dominic, we're not totally um, freaked out or we do stupid things, basically, just because we're unaware and don't understand him or her. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the sensory things that we could encounter in a public setting. Let's say I'm a parent and I pick my child up from school and I happen to bump into your boy. What would his reaction be to a total stranger all of a sudden? Uh, <clears throat> nowadays, you know, he's... <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, he's, he's very cordial. Um, but like I said, he, he's very, he can also be very quirky. Uh, as I mentioned, he's a sensory seeker, so... One of like the hot button topics for us that we're kind of dealing with now, which is you know uh, even more of an issue that he's in middle school, is you know uh, in terms of trying to seek out some of the stimulus. You know he may you know play with trees, or he may uh, you know be always fixated on something. Uh, he picks stuff up from the ground and and put it in his mouth. You know he may uh, you know put his hands up his shirt or, or down his pants, uh, and it's not that he's you know, not that he's, you know, intentionally trying to be inappropriate, um, but a lot of times these kids don't have that, that wherewithal in terms of, um, you know, social graces, awareness, uh, that, you know, these are things that, that have to constantly be, you know, taught and retaught and kind of, you know, driven into them uh, in the hopes that at some point it's going to stick. I just talked with this guidance counselor yesterday. Uh, he called saying that, you know, some of his teachers were talking about how he's put, like, his hands up his shirt and stuff like that. And, you know, I have talked to him many times, like, you know, if you, uh, you can't do this. And, and, you know, honestly, I'm, I don't know how much of it is a, is a conscious decision. He just may be kind of caught up in this own little world in his head and just, you know, he has certain tastes. Like, he hums a lot. And it's to the point where I don't even think he actually even realizes that he's doing it. He's just okay. one of his tastes. <laughs> Because people without disorders, we all have tics, right? I mean, right. we really do. I, I always love it when when someone actually tapes me, and I think, do I do that all the time? You know, because we are we're, we 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 don't even know sometimes the tics that we have. So, are these part of sensory, or are these part of unconscious behavior? I think some of it may be the sensory aspect. You know, again, uh, like with with the hands and stuff like that, it's, it's you know mm-hmm. kind of seeking that stimulation. And okay. um, you know, with with some of it, you know, it's it's a very delicate situation that that we talk to him about because you know we don't want him to feel bad or feel disgusting or creepy because he's you know he's putting his hands down his pants or what have you. But you know, we still need to. I still need the parent. I still need yeah. to try to get him to understand the gravity of what that is and, and, and uh, the appropriateness. Um, you know, when we, when we think of the senses, we generally just think of uh, the five senses as we know it. 
Uh, however, sensory processing disorder affects more than that. It also affects, you know, uh, coordination. You know, okay. it, it affects, uh, you know, your, your, your body awareness. So, you know, there's issues of personal space. Uh, you know, there, there's issues of him kind of, as he's running or walking, he's just kind of flailing his arms around. Um, and again, you know, a, a byproduct is, is, you know, coping skills. A lot of kids, you know, whether it's HPD, um, ASD, or what have you, really have um, issues with coping skills. Uh, okay. We had to talk to him yesterday because, you know, he's just started middle school. So this is a huge transition year for, for any kid. For mm-hmm. um, Dominic especially because we also just, uh, this, uh, the family just moved. We just moved, you know, to a new area. So it's a new, you know, new area, new school. It, it, you know, he doesn't know anyone. Um, you know, so he's got that on top of it. And with this particular school district, they got a grant that every kid in the district gets an iPad to use for school. Okay. But he doesn't, they don't always, he doesn't always have uh, a sense of, um, he's constantly leaving his iPad in places he shouldn't be. Like, he'll go to his locker, put his binder and iPad down on the ground in front of the locker and walk away. Uh, you know, so that, that sense of awareness uh, is not there. So, you know, we had a talk with him as we picked him up from school yesterday. Very simple talk. We did not raise our tones not punish him. We were just trying to have a, a constructive conversation with him to try and, you know, uh, address this issue because if he does, if he loses it, then I'm on the line for a new iPad tonight. I'm an artist. I'm a freelance photographer. So, you know, I don't, uh, I don't have uh, a ton of expendable income here. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, for whatever reason, it was a little bit more than he could actually handle. And later on, you know, maybe about two hours after the fact, you know, we're still dealing with it because he's, he's still obsessing over it. Uh, you know, and he was in tears and just crying and he couldn't even do his homework. So I went up actually having to, you know, him and I got our, our socks and shoes on and grabbed our jackets and we went for a walk around the block. We didn't really talk. I just, I knew that he needed to be removed from that situation to try and get him to calm down. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, uh, but but I, I understand things like the iPads, but... Um, I, I mean, I really, really do. I think, well, most children have have an awareness that it's an expensive object, but they still kind of throw it around. But would he be able to use the iPad just like any child? I mean, the use of an iPad, or does he not yeah, like I mean, touching he's, it? He's very, very proficient in uh, in technology. I mean, he, he's mainstreaming. He's, he's a he's a very intelligent boy. Uh, okay. He does have issues with comprehension. Um, he does have, um, you know, he still has some language issues, you know, in terms of using, you know, appropriate tense. Uh, and for him, you know, he, he interacts a lot of times on a level that is a few years younger. Uh, okay. He's 11, he's going to be 12 in two months, uh, but he's still very much in, he lives a lot of his life in Fantasyland. And like for like the last year or so, it's been Mario Brothers. So his entire world, from sun up to sundown, revolves around that. If he's not, you know, on his iPhone, it's the video games. It's something on TV or he's drawing about it. He's constantly, you know, constantly in that mode. So, you know, one of the challenges that, you know, we're faced with now, uh, especially now he's in middle school, is to make sure that we're kind of gearing him and guiding him into more age-appropriate things. You know, whether it's, you know, he has to read... 
30 hours, uh, yeah, 30 hours, 30 minutes a night at home. Mm-hmm. If left up to his own device, it would just be comic books and just all picture books. But that can't be because, I mean, not to say he can never do that, but he needs to be reading things that are going to engage him. They're going to challenge him. They're going to, you know, advance his intellect. Um, so that's one of the challenges that, that I'm faced with now is, you know, and again, especially in middle school for a number of reasons, you know, a lot of times I feel like I'm chasing the clock here. Um, I have to, you know, kind of step up my game to to make sure I'm getting him into things that are, you know, more age appropriate. So when he's out of school, he can have a more productive life. Yeah, and it's a fine balance because of the fact that he is still 11 and I can't fully, you know, I'm not trying to rob him of his childhood or innocence or any of that stuff, but no. more so just kind of gearing him and guiding him into, you know, things that, um, that are going to challenge him a little bit more and that are not adolescent. Hmm. Absolutely. How are friendships for him? Now, of course, with the new middle school, that he he probably doesn't have any yet. But but how did that work in elementary school? Um, it, it's always been a challenge for him. Um, at the house we had just moved from, we lived there for about five or six years. So he knew uh, there was a bunch of kids, you know, that are that are on our block, and he knew them all, uh, and they were all around his age, um, and they would, you know, they would. They were all nice to him, great to him, and all that stuff. But he he wouldn't really go out there with them because you know he doesn't really like being outside. He doesn't like playing you know the typical games other boys his age do. You know, like manhunt or you know stuff like that. You know, he would try and play hide and seek, uh, and it's like oh you know you can't do that. You know, you, you, we need to you know do this. So uh, developing friendships for him over the years was a little bit of a challenge. Um, Social appropriateness was was and to an extent still kind of is you know uh, concerns you know being able to initiate and maintain uh, appropriate conversations you know and also in conversations that are topics that don't really concern him or interest him being able to maintain those kind of kind of conversations as well. Uh, he did have uh, a friend up there at our, at our old house. Uh, that he, I think, did a speech class with, but, you know, he wouldn't really see him all that often. Didn't really live that close to us, and with schedules being what they were, uh, it was a little difficult. Uh, however, when we moved here, he actually made a friend within, like, the first week who actually lives right behind us. And it was like, it was like a gift from God, because the kid's a little quirky himself. He's about a year older in school. I think he's in seventh grade. Uh, but they're both kind of quirky, and they both like games, and there's, like, there's no judgment there, and it's, uh, and it's a beautiful thing. I, Again, like a gift from God, uh, but you know the the social piece is, is still still can be a challenge for him. Okay, yeah, I can imagine. Okay, when we get back from the next break, I would love to talk a little bit more about PDD NOS because I have no idea what that one is in comparison with the SPD that we've been talking about. Because you said um, that that's the symptoms he's showing now more, correct? Correct. Okay, so we'll go into commercial break right now and we'll be right back to talk more to Brian. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. 
The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, Brian. And we're at the last part of our show already. It always goes so fast. Mm-hmm. And one of the things um, that people can read, first of all, on my, uh, my radio is that you said that your son right now, today, Dominic, who's 11, who's in middle school, has more PDD than SPD. And these are all big words. I know that. But tell us what that means for him and what it actually means for you as a parent. Yeah, it's, um, like I said, he got the PDD diagnosis in, I guess it's like kindergarten or first grade. Um, however, through most of elementary school, he was more symptomatic uh, for the sensory challenges. But as in time, some of those, you know, sensory challenges, uh, he started to overcome on his own, you know, wearing, you know, more, uh, being more adventurous with clothes, uh, more adventurous with, with food, and uh, just, you know, overcoming some of that stuff. But uh, PDD deals a lot with uh, the social stuff, you know, certain rigidities, you know, whether it's schedule or, or uh, things like that. Also, you know, uh, uh, very, uh, very repetitive things, you know, where he may be kind of saying the same thing, the same thing over and over again, like in his head. Uh, I, I think um, on one hand, you were asking earlier, you know, how would a parent, you know, kind of pick out an SPD kid or an SPD symptom if, if they're, you know, picking their kid up from school. Honestly, you know, most times if you're not part of that community, you probably won't because a lot of them are, they're very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, in elementary school, most kids are kind of quirky, so they just kind of blend in. Um, the PDD thing kind of sticks out a little bit more because, again, it's more of the social stuff. It, it, it's more of the outward behaviors that, you know, uh, that are more present. Um, and that's, you know, it's been 
the challenges, you know, for us, uh, again, especially now in middle school where, where, you know, uh, he kind of has to up the, up the ante on his game in terms of, you know, uh, awareness, um, he's got much more responsibility, um, you know, developing friendships and, and, you know, social appropriateness and, uh, things of that nature, um. You know, very, very much a challenge for us. I'm just going to interrupt you for a second because I have a question about the PDD and the scheduling. I mean, how do you teach a child like Dominic about scheduling when life is forever changing all the time and middle school is only the beginning of that, right? In high school, it's even more. Right. And uh, you'll have uh, fallout days or days that there is suddenly the teacher isn't there and all these kinds of things and it goes on and on and by the time you're our age it's like you know it's forever changing and if change is such a issue and and a problem within this disorder how do you handle that as a parent because mm. that's something that takes an enormous doses of patience to explain that no scheduling wise yeah I you know, for Dominic, uh, as the years have gone through, gone by, uh, you know, his transitional issues in terms of, uh, uh, you know, changes in, in schedule have not been as much of an issue with him uh, as he's gotten older. Uh, he's been, okay. you know, much more kind of laid back and kind of go with the flow. Like, okay, all right, that's fine in, in terms of those kind of transitions. He is still very rigid in terms of... Uh, you know, schedule in terms of, like, what time, what is supposed to happen. Like, you know, we have uh, dinner is usually around 5 o'clock. When they come home from school, they get a quick snack, and then they get started on homework. 5 o'clock is dinner time, and around 7 o'clock they have their evening snack. So he's very rigid in terms of that stuff. Uh, you know, what's supposed to happen when. He may not even be hungry, but it's 7 o'clock, it's, it's snack time. Um, and that sometimes, it, it, it's, you know, never very... Uh, Never really a, a huge challenge for us to deal with, uh, but sometimes, you know, the rigidity uh, can be kind of, like, frustrating. Uh, yeah. But, you know, and I think part of that was the fact that we had him on such a... He needed to be on such a rigid schedule from day one that, you know, his, his you know, internal clock is just already is set. Uh, and, like, with, uh, with him waking up, he's usually up by 6 o'clock every morning, uh, even on days off, weekends, uh, and, wow. you know, nowadays it's not as much of an issue for us because, you know, he's 11, he can kind of, you know, make his, you know, get his own bowl of cereal, and he kind of stays downstairs in the basement, you know, uh, on the video games, stuff like that. So he's, you know, much more self-sufficient, but uh, it's still, it's like, you know, you can sleep in, you know, get the rest, you know, yeah. <laughs> relax, you know, you don't have to be up at 5, 30, 6 o'clock every day, you know, but he sometimes has anxiety in terms of, uh, I'm afraid he's going to miss something if he if he's not up at a particular time. Like this is the time yeah, you know he's supposed bit. to be up, and, and that's what it is. Mm -hmm. So Brian, what is it that you would like to say to parents out there? And let's try to use these this last ten minutes really, so that you can talk about you know your own website and where you would like to help for people that are listening to the show. Well, the first thing is, you know, depending on where you're at in your journey, uh, if you're having some kind of sense, you know, if, if you're experiencing some challenges with your child and you think it may be something, do, do the research. The most important uh, role you can be for your child is an advocate. 
educate yourself, do the research, look into it as much as possible, and be knowledgeable about it. That's the, the, really the only way and the best way you're going to be able to help your child is to know what's going on. Um, and, you know, if, if you go and you're not feeling, you know, what this person's telling you, get a second opinion. You know, because that, that was, you know, we, we fought, you know, we felt that it was something, it was this, and we fought, and we were right. A parent knows their child. You know, you're going to know your child better than the pediatrician. They may be more educated, but you know your child. Um, and just be there. Uh, and this one's, you know, especially for the dad, you know, it's not enough just to have your 40 hours, you know, a week job. Not enough just to be the breadwinner. You need to be engaging in, in your child, whether it's, you know, the... A special needs child or a neurotypical child, you need to be a part of it. You do you to, find sometimes you know, the patience, though, to do that, Brian? Yeah, I, I think, um, and I'm not trying to, you know, paint with a, a broad stroke here. Uh, we're kind of, you know, classify all guys as this, but, you know, a lot of guys, you know, whether it's, you know, from their own experience, from their own fathers or, or whatever it is, you know, they may not know you know, how to parent a child with special needs. They, you know, may not necessarily know how to be kind of hands-on. They may be afraid. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, perhaps, um, you know, to a lesser extent, there may be situations where, you know, where mom, um, you know, feels that she knows best. And I'm not saying she doesn't. But mom also needs to make sure she's creating the environment that welcomes dad's input and, and makes him feel, you know, uh, of value to the situation. So, you know, both parties, and I'm... Not me trying to throw those on the moms, but um, you know, a dad's got to be there. You know, every child needs to know a father's love. Yeah, every child needs both parents. They they definitely do. But in the society, and even still today, I agree with you totally that most fathers are not hands on. It's still predominantly moms that are hands on, unless the child lives full time with their fathers. Correct. Right, and you know, again, I'm, I'm. Speaking to the special needs community because that's you know that's my community. Um, you know, I, I to an extent I understand the you know some of the trepidation or or whatever, but the fact is you know you have to let go of what your dreams were. You know, your child may not be ever you know ever may not be ever to able to ever be an athlete, but you got to let all those dreams go. You got to you know invest in your child and build new dreams together. But the, the fact is, you, you need to be there for them. And for me, there is, you know, there is no other way. I've been, um, I'm a freelance photographer, and I've essentially been a quote-unquote stay-at-home dad for the last six or seven years. And uh, my kids, you know, uh, since their mother and I split, uh, my kids have lived with me for the last, you know, uh, 13, 14 months. Uh, and honestly, I wouldn't have any other way. I, I couldn't see myself as, as being a weekend dad, and that's not to bash them. But for me, that's not enough parenting. I, I, I want more than that. I, I want to engage my children. I, I want to love my children. I want to live, you know, I want to be a part of their everyday life. Mm-hmm. And you want to make their dreams come true, too? Right. right? And that's, that's our job. You know, our job is to provide them with all the tools and resources possible so that they have a happy and healthy life and give them whatever it is that they need to pursue their dreams. Well, I think, honestly, Brian, and I really mean that, I I think that's very commendable, not just because you have a special needs child, but I talk about it often. I think there's very little foundation left for children in the homes usually, and we're all these, with many, many parents with divorce, um, 
it, it is really hard for children to know where they belong and where the stability comes from on a daily basis. So you're doing that on top of it with a special needs child, so that's pretty much commendable. And it's really nice that you kind of want to go out there and help other parents see that it's not that hard. I have a feeling that's what you're trying to do, right? Yes, yes. I mean, and that's kind of been my, my, my stance from, from, from the first time he was diagnosed. I wanted to do as much as I could, not only to help my own child, but to, to help others. Uh, yeah. You know, and over the years, I've been able to use whatever profile I've, I've gained through my work as a photographer. I've been able to use that to, to kind of help push my various platforms, whether it's, you know, things for SPD. You know, my, uh, the current photo project I'm working on is A Father's Love, which is, you know, a photo documentary kind of spotlighting those fathers who, who champion for their special needs kids. And you don't have to, I'm not saying that you need to go out there and change or save the world. You don't have to have a foundation. You just need to be there. You need to be present. Your Absolutely. child needs to know that you were part of the team. You're not just, you know, your pairing doesn't stop when you punch the clock at work. That's not the end of your job. No, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Is there a link where people can go to to find out more, or is there a link of the of the uh, foundation of SPD that you want to give here? Yeah, they can uh, for a father's love. Uh, they can go to uh, fatherslove.co. Uh, or they can go, I'm on, um, I'm on Facebook, so they can look it up on Facebook. They can look up, uh, my SPD stuff on Facebook. It's, uh, Portraits of a Disorder or Faces of SPD. My photography page is on there as well for imaging and photography. Um, you know, it's, uh, and for the SPD Foundation, uh, it's spdfoundation.net. Um, but if they want to reach out to me through Facebook, I can certainly guide them in, in one direction or another. Okay, that sounds terrific. Brian, I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thank and you, to teach. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.